I hope that, um, you know, for folks who, who hear this, if you feel like that, if you feel like no one's going to listen, that's wrong. Pardon my French. That's bullshit. That is a lie that is in your head. Someone will listen to you. You're listening to Guards Down. This is Greg Washington. Hey everyone, and welcome to the next episode of Guards Down. I have with me today Jasmine Hurley. Jasmine, how are you? I'm fantastic, Greg. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's yeah. been so long since I got a chance to see you and talk to you from us graduating from school. So I just want to get caught up. Tell us about yourself, and you know, let's let's just jump into this thing. Yeah. Okay. Where do I start? Um, so currently I live in Columbus, Ohio. I am an attorney. I work for a law firm. I uh, practice intellectual property, copyrights, trademarks, and general corporate work. But my true passion is working on the intellectual property side, a little bit of entertainment law, lots of fun. Um, and then working with businesses that are veteran owned, minority owned and women owned on, um, you know, business formation, governance, uh, you know, just how do they get their business? How do they get set up legally and how do they progress and grow um, and, and go from there? I got you. I got you. Look, take it back a little further. Tell us where you came from. Why did you go to this place? Oh, my goodness. Um, so grew up in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Uh, my parents were in the military. That's how I ended up in Massachusetts. My um, my father's last duty station was at Fort Devens out there in air. Um, and so when they divorced, my mom remarried and my stepdad and stepbrother were all in the military. So I come from a, a long line of military folks. Um, and that really informed my decision, my younger brother, my baby brother's decision to, to join the military. Um, but I thought I'd be radical. Um, and instead of enlisting like everybody else in my family, I decided that West Point was the way. Um, I was blessed with a, a with an algebra teacher who was really supportive. He was a grad, a 71 grad. And he was very supportive of me um, going through the process. He was the one who said, hey, you should, um, I think it's called SLE now, but the, the IAW going through that summer program. Um, and I, I was just hooked after, after that one week, that one summer, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is amazing. This is so much fun. Um, but then of course you get that, that whiplash when you start beast and you're like, Oh no, Oh no, this is not, this is not it at all. Um, but I'm so glad that I went, I'm so glad I stuck with it. I'm so glad I graduated. Um, because I feel that was just a, a, very important cornerstone in my life and what I've, um, you know, what I've been trying to build, um, you know, as, as a person and, you know, build my family and build my profession. I got you. I got you. Well, I appreciate you, you know, sharing and, and, and open that up with us. Um, there's a couple of things just in that to talk about. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, the show is about how do 
different cultures deal with trauma and grief. And so, you know, you and I, we come from the biggest, the military culture, and then, you know, uh, our ethnic background. And so, um, you know, the first questions I like to ask are centered around, you know, your, your background. So, you know, uh, kind of tell us your ethnic, religious Mm-hmm. So I grew up in uh, first and foremost, you know, I'm I'm the children of uh, former enlisted. So that military mindset of get it done, get it done at all costs, make it happen, was definitely part of my upbringing. It was a, I would say a fairly sheltered upbringing. My parents were very strict and very focused on um, grades. For me, my job was getting good grades um, and volunteering, being part of the community, being part of, um, you know, being very, very civically involved. Another part of it was, um, you know, growing up with a, uh, with some generational differences, some, both some, some cultural and generational differences between my mother and father. So my, uh, my stepdad, I was raised by my stepdad, um, was a uh, black man who was, born in the 40s, grew up on a farm in Virginia, in Southern Virginia, rural Virginia, you know, um, very, very poor, uh, you know, one of eight children. Education for him was non-existent. The army was his way out. He had an eighth grade education. And then, um, you know, for him, as soon as he turned 18, the army was the way that he was able to make something of himself. Um, and he was, he was self-employed for a little over 20 years before he died, um, of, you know, as a, as a typewriter repairs, repairman, office machines. Remember those old lithograph machines where, you know, you, you would run off stuff and it would still have that blue ink. Those, you know, that was his, his livelihood was, was fixing those machines and, um, whereas my mom, my mom was, um, you know, about 20 years younger and she grew up and she was, a uh, um, she's white and she grew up in the Valley in Oregon. So, you know, generation, generationally, they had a lot of differences, um, in the way that they in, intended to raise us. They intended to, um, you know, just, just explain the world to us. But at the same time, they also, they kind of converged on that, that uh, military lens, if you, if you will, of, you know, make it happen, get it done. No excuses. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. Okay. And so um, tell us about your experience at West Point. This is always you can never, never answer that question. I, I always get that. They're like, oh, so how, how, how was West Point? I'm like, how much time do you have? Because I don't feel like you, you can, you can't sum it up with just one word. That's um, very think, true. You can't. Yeah, you can't because it, I feel like every day was different and every, I mean, there were days where I, I loved it. It was, I was like, yes, this is the most amazing thing I've ever done in my life. And then there were a lot of days where I just kind of sat there and said, what the heck am I doing? Why am I, why am I even here? This is a horrible mistake. Um, and so dealing with um, that, that roller coaster of emotions, I think is what um, was difficult. Um, my 
first year, so the end of my first year, um, I uh, went through an honor case. Um, so T week, um, had, I got involved in an honor, honor issue, um, turned myself in. So all of Buckner, um, our, our first summer, I was, um, you know, kind of in limbo. And I actually had my honor trial at Buckner and that weighed on me. Luckily, luckily I graduated. I was, I graduated, um, a, six months later as December grad, but going through, um, the army mentorship program, um, and, you know, not having been promoted that really weighed on me all through my yuck year into my, um, my cow year. So I didn't get promoted until well into cow year. Um, and so that, that was one of the first times that I really, really doubted why I was even doing what I was doing, why I was at West Point, why, um, why did I even exist? If I was not good at this, if I couldn't get through, if I didn't have integrity, um, looking back on it now, um, I realized that that was, a wonderful experience and it was such a blessing because I was able to experience an adverse event in an environment where soldiers were not involved, lives were not, you know, no one, no one was going to die based off of this. So I was able to learn the valuable lessons make the valuable connections with people. Um, it was an extra six months of me hanging out at school, taking classes that I could take whatever I wanted to take, you know, and it put me, um, you know, graduating six months later than everyone else. So I met some amazing people in, um, in OBC that were national guard that were reservists. Um, I met some, some folks from, from Navy that attended the, um, MP OBC. It was just a way, you know, for, for me to, to learn these lessons and expand the, you know, my support group and the group of folks that, that I know. And it was at the end of the day, a positive experience that, um, you know, I, I, I regret giving away my integrity in the way that I did because it's so important, but I don't regret going through the process. I don't regret what, you learned from you know, what I learned from it. And so just, just to, to go back, because there may be some viewers out there. So West Point has... Um, all right, you know, I'm on our honor code. A cadet will not lie, cheat, or steal, nor tolerate those who do. And so we have lived by that since the school started. Mm-hmm. And um, we hold each other accountable. And so for you to, you know, turn yourself in and say, okay, yeah, this is, you know, what happened in, in the whole nine. And to go through all that, I mean, that's, that's bravery in itself. And, you know, us at such a young age, uh, we all make mistakes. And to be able to, to make it young and early and in a controlled environment where it's not costing you someone else's life, like you said, that's 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 key. That's key. That, that helps you. That helps build character, you know, later on. And the fact that you didn't quit, you know, is big in itself, you know, being a female and being a minority at West Point and 
you know, still coming in. And so two parts to this that I want to talk about that you hit. The first part, because you, you brought up, you know, our, our plebe year, our freshman year. Tell us how you felt when 9-11 happened. We're worried. worried. Yeah, worried. So I, I was, I, and I think most of us were either transitioning from chemistry class or going to chemistry class. So I didn't know that the first plane had hit until um, I arrived to chemistry class. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure my chemistry teacher was Major Dick. I'm not even make, making that name up. Um, saw that the first plane had hit um, on the TV that was on in the room, and he turned the TV off right as the second plane hit. So I, you know, really did not understand what was happening until I got back to my room after class, and you know, we had our. Uh, you know, our company mates checking on us, letting us know what had happened, asking us if we had any family in the Pentagon um, or flying. At that time, my uh, my stepbrother, him and his wife lived in New York City and she would travel to the World Trade Centers, um, you know, for work. So, of course, I immediately tried to get a hold of my mom to find out if, um, you know, if they were OK. Yeah. Um, they were, thank God. Um, and then. I just remember thinking like, well, this is what I signed up for. Um, you know, if we were going to war, if it, this is, it, it was just what we signed up for. So in a way, just not ready, but well aware of what, um, what the, the implications of what was happening were. Okay. So you take, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. You take 9-11, well, you first take the, the honor case, right? So going through the honor case, you know, upholding your character and turning yourself in, then you take us having 9-11 and, you know, saying this is what I signed up for and we're still at the age of 17, 18, right? Saying that we're gonna protect and defend our country and, we're going off to war. We now have today where there are cadets that are making very strong uh, political statements and strong racial statements. How do you feel about that? Because, I mean, there, there were cadets that, you know, threw up white power signs, you know, during... <laughs> nationally televised game and there have also been instances where um, there's been a lot of tension just over political parties and stuff like that and so you know I just wanted to get your thoughts on coming from that to now hearing and dealing with this. <laughs> yeah definitely curveball well and so I was talking with my um my roommate about this, um, my my former roommate, Abby, about this. And we were talking about how we thank God that social media and just that access was not around um, because we did plenty of dumb stuff. You hit on it. We um, we probably made statements. We probably put stuff out there, but we were not in the age of, you know, barely even Facebook um, of social media. So I, I think that there were 
we kind of had a little bit of liberty to make mistakes um, and and it not really come back to us. I think right now, uh, you know, a lot of younger younger folks need to be cognizant of the fact that these things can follow you. So they really need to really, really, really need to pay attention to what, um, you know, what they're doing, what they're saying. Um, because that will follow them, not just through their military career. Employers will find that, um, and and we. This is this was something that was stressed in in law school. That made me laugh uh, because a lot of folks are younger. You know, this will find you. Employers will find you. This will find you later on in life. Um, I applaud those um, those cadets who are standing up and making statements um, that are. Um, you know, trying to bring to light injustices and bring to light um, discrepancies and inequalities within the system because it needs to be said. Um, and and I applaud that because I also don't think I had that much conviction when I was that young to be able to stand up and say, yes, I believe in that. It was just kind of like, oh, well, <laughs> that sucks. Um you know, I have to I have to find a way around, you know, that that team leader over there who somehow seems to be picking on the only two black females in the whole, you know, plebe class. Right. So you 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 hit on a good point where, you know, uh, for our generations, you know, the core has right what we used to right. go through uh, for us. It was keeping your head down and just graduating. Uh, we're to the point now where, you know, we can have a voice and understand what's going on in society and actually start to make a stand and a statement about, you know, who we are and starting to define our legacy because that was one thing that was for minority groups was stripped away, you know, through, through slavery. Right. The other question or topic that I wanted to hit on with this was about, you know, you, you mentioned being able to make that kind of mistake early because lives aren't at stake. Right. But for the cadet that or cadets, and I won't just pick out one, but for any cadet, whether it be uh, um, West Point, Navy, Annapolis, Merchant Marine Academy, Citadel, ROTC. Do you feel like when they show those signs of racism and discrimination um, and it's prevalent, do, do you think they should be commissioned to be leading America's sons and daughters into combat in the harm's way if their views show you know, that they're not going to be equal? In treatment, I, I think that again, this is just my opinion. Anytime I've made a mistake, or I've made because just because I am a, a biracial woman does not mean that I didn't grow up in a household that was kumbaya with every single you know, every single other minority or ethnicity. My dad was extremely, extremely homophobic and extremely anti-Semitic. Um, and so I grew up hearing things that I, I myself had repeated at one point. And then I had someone who very 
graciously corrected me and educated me. So it comes from a place of ignorance a lot of the time. So I, I think that those folks need to be approached. Those folks need to, to be mentored and they need to understand that whatever they're doing, if it's coming from a place of ignorance, they can, they can correct that. They can learn. Um, I think that we have a, a wonderful opportunity in this country right now where people who want to learn, where they, they may have made mistakes in ignorance, they want to learn. They're coming to the table to learn. Are there going to be those folks who just don't care? It's, it, it is quite honestly rooted in hatred and it's rooted in stubbornness and it's rooted in, uh, I, I can't even think what other, what other place racism can be rooted in besides hatred. Do I think they should be commissioned? No, but I think they should be given the chance to be able to be, to become educated and to learn. Yeah. Um, a lot, of, a lot of folks will say, you know, you always hear those stories of those people who are coming from um, very, uh, very segregated populations and saying, I had never interacted with a person who is black or Hispanic, or I'd never met, you know, I never met anybody who was gay until I joined the army. And I realized that, you know, that person is my brother and sister. It doesn't matter, you know, what I, I learned beforehand about that person. That person at the, at the base is a person and is my brother and sister. Um, you know, so they, they learn that, that respect. Um, you know, for, for me, if, if I'd had somebody just cut me off and not teach me, I, I you know, I, I definitely would have, would have missed out. And I'm very, very thankful that I have those folks who recognize that it was, you know, my ignorance was coming from that place of ignorance. It wasn't coming from a place of, of hate or, or, you know, a, a anger. It was coming from a place of just being taught the wrong way. Yeah. You, you, you bring up a good point and, you know, I'll kind of close that, that portion of it with saying that, you know, um, I agree with you. I think the academies and the commissioning program or, or sources um, are going to have a very tough job differentiating between ignorance and that deep-rooted hatred, you know, when it comes to determining the value of leadership a person gets to be commissioned. So I, 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 I had to ask the lawyer, you, you know. And <laughs> Look, you got to give someone due process before you just cut them off, right? Well, no, I agree. And, and the purpose of, of all of the commissioning sources is to train you to be a leader. And part of that training is to understand that your soldiers, your fellow peers, your, um, you know, your, your commanding officers at the base of it are all human beings. They are human beings who have raised their hand and have volunteered to do the same job as you. And this is a little bit of my philosophy, too. Um, but the only way that you're going to learn is to make mistakes. So there has to be some some level of allowance to be able to make those mistakes. 
in retraining. You know, the army's big on retraining, whether you want it to be or not, you know? So you make the mistake, you don't hit the metric, you don't hit the standard, you're told what the standard is. If you don't meet the standard, then you're retrained and you're given that opportunity to meet the standard again. Some people, some people are going to meet the standard right off the bat. Some people are not. Yeah. So you, you, and this is a great segue of going into, you know, cadet training, commissioning, boom, being in the military, being soldiers. So tell us about your experience um, leading soldiers. I loved it. I, I, I loved my time being a platoon leader um, and, and being at the company level. I feel like for where West Point was so hard, that set me up for success as a, a platoon leader and as an executive officer because it, it'll again, it allowed me to be able to make those mistakes. And I'm not saying I didn't make any mistakes as a platoon leader all the time, but that's where I relied heavily on my NCOs and made sure I built good relationships with them so that if I had those dumb questions or if I was going down the wrong way, they pull my collar and be like, ma'am, no, no, no. Um, and being military police, I felt like that was, that was a great personality fit because it was, you know, men and women working towards a, a law enforcement job. Now, I thought I would become an attorney. I thought I would be uh, more involved in criminal work. But uh, after being an MP, I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. I don't need to do any more criminal work, deal with anybody else's BS. Um, but I, I loved working with soldiers, being out there every day with them. Um, you know, I, I had the privilege of... of after I transitioned into becoming an executive officer, being approached to then become a platoon leader with a um, with a, a unit downrange in Iraq, jumped on it because I knew that's where the fun is, that's where the action is, and I'm so glad I did. Indeed, indeed. Well, in your experience, um, childhood, West Point, uh, military career or even your, you know, your corporate career now being an attorney. Um, can you tell us about your experience dealing with trauma and grief? Yeah. Um, so I, I alluded to earlier um, the passing of my stepdad. So um, he passed uh, Thanksgiving Day, 2004. So I um, was towards the end of our first semester of our uh, senior year, um, my first semester of three of senior year. Um, and it was it was a pretty um it was a pretty difficult experience because um, I said it was myself, my younger brother, and then three younger siblings at home. Um, I have uh, half siblings and they were much younger. My baby sister was two when, when he passed. Um, this was something where he knew he was sick for a long, long time and we watched him suffering, but he refused to go to the hospital. Um, and that's part of the, the older uh, cultural aspect of of it. My dad refused to go to the doctors. He knew there was something wrong. And he was like, no, if I pray it away, it'll go away. God will take this away from me. And we're like, no, you're very sick. You need to go to the doctor. By the time he finally went to the doctor, um, 
early October, they confirmed that um, he had stage four cancer, liver cancer, and it had metastasized in so many of his organs that it wasn't, it, there was no point in them, them fighting it. Um, and so, you know, they gave him about a month to live and he lived about a month. It was difficult being so far away from my family. By that time I was committed. You know, if this had happened, maybe, um, you know, sophomore year, freshman year, plebe year, yuck year, maybe I would have taken a year off and then tried to come back, you know, spend some time with my mom and helped out. Um, by that time I was committed, I already knew what branch I was going to be in. I didn't have my post yet, but I knew it was not going to be in America. <laughs> um, so in a way, I just kind of ignored what was going on um, and tried to just throw myself into what I was doing, throw myself into, you know, the remainder of school, throw myself in activities, into, um, into uh you know, what, whatever I could. Um, and what I should have been doing was at least trying to process talking to somebody about how difficult this was and, and how guilty I felt by not being there. Yeah. Yeah. I know that was definitely tough. Uh, for me, it was my, my grandpa passed away during staff of in between um, in between freshman and sophomore year. Yeah. And so that was going on. Mother, she had some stuff that was going on and it was like, man, do I stay or do I go? And, right. and talking to her, you know, she encouraged me. She was like, you know, you, you do this now so that you'll be you'll be good and you can take care of your family. Uh, like, you know, um, you know, your grandpa always wanted you to, to do this. He was very proud. And you know, I even got to go home and see him. Um, and so, yeah, so it, it was tough. Uh, it, it was, it was real tough at that age to make them kind of decisions to stay. And, you know, the guilt of, all right, I have to keep moving forward sticks with you, you know, no matter what the, the situation is, I think that part of it is what hurt people the most or causes them to stay stuck in the process. Um, yeah. Tell us about your your actual military experience. Uh, I know you say you did an, a deployment and that you just recently um, had a soldier to commit suicide. Yeah, so um, his name was Alex Quinn, um, and he was actually my soldier, one of my soldiers on that deployment. I had one one deployment, OIF 0809, um, and he went on to, uh, he was a specialist at the time, and the best way to describe Alex was Robin Williams. When someone, um, you know, he was the one who was always making people laugh, um, and he was one of the ones that I, I knew I could rely on for. He was older, um, older than, than most of us. He grew up in Massachusetts. So, you know, we had a lot of that in common. And I knew that he was one of those folks that I could go to, um, you know, and get some some honest, tactful feedback about what was going on in the, the platoon. Um, and uh, so 
hearing about his passing um, and was difficult um, last year. So he, he passed away last year and I was already going through um, a, a difficult time last year of, I, I just switched jobs. It was a little bit more demanding a bigger law firm. And I was going through some major imposter syndrome that, you know, still, still lingers a bit today, um, which I, I think is a result of coping, you know, grief coping mechanisms of just like, just keep going, just keep going. And then things all kind of hit at the same time. Um, so it was it was heartbreaking to to hear that um, he he had hit such a point that he couldn't talk to any of us. He couldn't talk to you know the forty three people in our in our platoon. Um, he had contact with almost all of us, and to hear that was that he didn't think that any of us wanted to listen was just devastating. Um, I'm, I'm, I hope that, um, you know, for folks who, who hear this, if you feel like that, if you feel like no one's going to listen, that's wrong. Pardon my French. That's bullshit. That is a lie that is in your head. Someone will listen to you. Um, and someone will get you to the person that needs to help you. Um, you know, as I was going through a very difficult time last year, um, you know, going through imposter syndrome, it, it was to the point where I was like, what do I do? What is even the point of all of this? You know, I have a wonderful husband and two small children and, you know, I've gone through all of this and I feel like at, at the end of the day, I, I shouldn't exist. The best thing that that ever could have happened to me was telling my husband how I felt and him saying, okay, what can I do? How can I help you? And him just saying, if you need to go see a therapist, go. It's okay. You can do that. And even having someone just say, we have, we have to kick it up a level. You know, I'm here for you, but let's get someone else involved. And that license, especially in the mental health space, was amazing for me. Um, and I'm, I'm so happy that I, I have that support system that said, look, you're struggling. You can't do, you can't struggle anymore. You can't, you can't figure your way out of this. We need to get someone else to help you figure your way out of this. And it's perfectly okay if you can't figure your way out of it. Um, there are people who can see things from a different perspective, who can see things a little bit clearer than you can because your brain is so, your brain is amazing and it can be your best friend and your worst enemy at the same time. It is. And, and I, I like that you put that because I, I really want to make an emphasis on that negative self-talk. Oh, yeah. Because that, that negative self-talk will tell you you're not worth it. It will tell you, don't nobody care about you. Right. And it will force you into this isolation and deeper into that dark place and rabbit hole of just spiraling out of control. And so, you know, like you were saying, sometimes you, you and, and this is this is what... I tell people and also what I tell myself, you have to lean in. 
right? You got to lean in the foxhole mm-hmm. when you are fighting those internal battles because you, you have to be able to recognize it and then fight against it. And so, you know, and, and then knowing that you need help and going to someone to get help and not listening to that negative self-talk of don't nobody care. It's people out there that care. It is literally people that don't even know you that care. And I bring that up to go back to your teacher that was a West Point grad, a complete stranger, having so much encouragement and faith in you that he helped shape your career to go into to go to West Point. I think that we all have in our lifetime, if we really sat back, we have those those coaches and those teachers and those cheerleaders. There are people who um, I know are cheering for me that don't say anything, you know, who who are like, yes, this is amazing. Jasmine's doing a good job. Um, you know, and, and I I was approached by I admitted um, through a, a LinkedIn posting about the imposter syndrome of, of last year and how I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not doing this imposter syndrome junk. I am over it. Um, you know, I'd let that take over my life. If anybody is like that, don't do it. And so she approached me and she said, I knew that you were struggling and I was always rooting for you, but I didn't know what was going on. You know, and I, I, I shared with her and she said, wow. Thank you for your post. What, what is it? Can you describe, you know, like the, the, the diagnosis for the imposter syndrome? What does a person feel, go through, you know? I don't know if there's a clinical diagnosis for it, but I think diagnosis of the masses. Um, just the general feeling of despite accomplishment, despite you know, all of the accomplishments, you know, like I graduated from West Point. That was not easy. It, you know, it, every semester was like, oh, well, I'm going to pass. Am I not going to pass? Are they going to keep, you know, but in, despite that, I still graduated despite, you know, being in the military, I, I got my master's degree despite, you know, having a kid in between my second, my 2L and my 3L years and only having five weeks before I went back to law school, I still graduated from law school. I still landed a job at a, at a law firm and then jumped to a larger law firm after that. You know, people wouldn't have hired me if they thought I was going to fail. But at the same time, still thinking I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail. Yeah, I had to to look it up, right? So it says, you know, imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills or talents and accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Yeah. That's that's the negative self-talk that we were talking about. And that is so strong that, you know, it it eats away at your confidence. So tell us in two parts. What did you do to to help yourself? First thing, I started going to a therapist. And um, I'm not seeing a therapist at this point. because I knew that I 
wanted to get over this hump. I knew if I could get over this hump, I could then work out some other things. Um, and that doesn't mean that I'm not going to go back to a therapist at some point. Um, because I think there are other things that I need to deal with. Um, it's just like, I don't know if I want to spend that much money um, every every week. <laughs> Plus, I, I need to find something that I feel is a little bit more more compatible. My therapist was great for what I was looking at um, and the, the issue of the imposter syndrome. Um, and the and so part of part of what came with the imposter syndrome was anxiety attacks. Never had anxiety massive anxiety attacks to the point where I had to shut my door at work and just, you know, just ball. And it was more than just one day. It was multiple days, sometimes like several times a week. Um, so went to a therapist and, and tried to figure out how working through that. Part of what had also happened was my work performance was degrading because I was so focused on being exposed as a fraud, so exposed, so focused on being an imposter that I, I was suddenly unable to do the basic things like follow up on an email, answer the email, you know? So, um, I hired a professional coach to then kind of take it back and say, okay, how do we get some of these basics? Take it back to the basics. Um, you know, not just skills of lawyering. These are just skills of being, a human being, a responsive human being, a good employee, a good associate. Um, so finding those folks to help me get back the confidence that has somehow somehow been lost and get back and say, look, you can follow up on an email. Small win. Small win. Send out four emails this morning. I was like, win. I sent out emails <laughs> to the four people that I had on my list to send out emails to. So getting, getting that back and saying, you know, what can I control, what I can't control and being okay with, I'm not going to know everything. I'm going to make mistakes, but there are things that, that I know how to do. I know how to do well. Um, you know, reading, writing, can't guarantee the math, but the reading and writing, I can do those. Okay. Okay. So actually applying yourself, you know, in spite of your fears is, is a big thing and having that support system around you. You kind of touched on with the therapist. I know you were joking about the one about the cost and then about the compatibility. So, you know, um, do you feel like, you know, when a person is seeking professional help, like for you, did the race, the gender, the background make a difference in how effective the treatment was? Yeah. Um for me, not not really. Um, I was looking more for um, someone who wasn't going to be heavy with with medication and wasn't going to prescribe medication right up bat. Would would um, be more involved in you know what types of techniques if there were alternate therapies. If it was you know getting into particular classes, things like that for for like yoga or that would be more of their. Um, more of their their recommendation um i i ended up going more towards a, a a woman therapist because i felt like i felt more comfortable being vulnerable um with another woman um you know because i felt like they would connect um um i think one of the the things that was not compatible i felt like my my therapist was a little bit younger than me so um i 
I felt like there was a little bit of a disconnect between um, just professional um, the, the length in, in time that, that she had been in the profession, um, which is not a knock on her. Um, she was great. She was wonderful. Um, but, you know, sometimes when you're seeking guidance, it helps to have somebody who's already kind of been there mm-hmm. uh, or at least has some context um, in, in what you're, you're talking about and what you're struggling with to be able to um, relate. Yeah. Okay. Well, with everything that you have been through, um, and, and we we're, we're going to wrap up in closing because I, I want to go back to, to Alex real quick. Yeah. And just understanding how did you go about, you know, dealing with that and processing it? So um, my husband was also in um, in our unit and he was the one who actually told me he had found out um, from those who were in Alex's current unit um, about his about his death. And he was the one who was was pretty much felt obligated to let everyone else in our our former platoon know what was going on. And I think I I we talked about it a lot. And it was one of the first times that I I saw him upset. Um, you know, he's he's a big guy, doesn't show emotion very much and you know, in that way. Um, but I, I you know, we've talked about how much it hurts and how much we don't want that to happen. Um, you know, so we try to be connected a little bit more with folks. If someone sends us a message, we respond. We reach out a little bit more because we don't want anyone else to feel like that. And I think that's the only way that we can process that. That's the only thing that we can do right now is just take care of who's here now and make sure that they don't ever feel like that yeah. and that they get to that point. Yeah. And I, and I know it's tough because, you know, it, it's with the conversation is what you're alluding to. You're, you're having to deal with your own personal shit, right. And it weighs heavy on you and you still need to be able to, you know, check on your battle buddies. Um, You know, I I would hope that people listening in would get the sense of it's okay to come up for air, check on and make sure, you know, you're the battle buddies, because I mean, we are all literally out here struggling to make it together. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's, it's putting out that check and saying like, Hey, I'm struggling. Are you struggling? That is that that can mean volumes because we only see the picture that we project to to people, right? People think I'm, you know, Jasmine's doing some amazing things, or other people are like Jasmine's a hot mess. But people don't know what's going on with me internally unless I say something, you know. I and the same thing can be going on with, you know, my battle buddy he or she can be going through the same thing. And that's where we say, okay, let's check on each other. You create that accountability or say, look, I was thinking about going to a therapist for this. What do you think? I, I think, do you think maybe you might giving that license and giving that permission to be vulnerable. Sometimes we need that, especially in a society that has such a stigma around mental health 
and, and raising, you know, raising the flag to say, I, I need help. Um, you know, sometimes just being that person to give, give that permission and say, Hey, you know, it's okay to have these feelings. It's okay to feel this way, but it's not okay to hurt yourself and to hurt other people and to get into the cycle where you are miserable. Indeed. Indeed. So just looking back, um, knowing what you know now versus looking back, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh gosh. That's how I start to lighten up. Like I was such a serious, serious, like it was no fun at all. I feel like as a cadet or like even, even in the army, like I remember an instance where I was with a group of people, we were in um, Budapest and of course everybody had been drinking, but of, of course I wasn't drinking because I had to be the responsible adult. And like, we're in Budapest. We're 20 something years old. And I'm over here like, guys, you should calm down. Stop yelling. Like just a killjoy. My husband likes to refer to me as the as the fun police sometimes. Um, you know, so I, I wish that I had just reeled it in a little bit and enjoyed life a little bit more, enjoyed the moment. Um, because it's those moments that you reflect on, um, you know, especially as a parent where you're like, man, it would be great if I could jet set to insert place here. And, you know, with two small kids, that's not as easy anymore. (laughs) Not, not taking my family halfway across the globe to, to go hang out in a foreign country at this point, because it's just too difficult. And I do not have the patience for that. Um, you know, and, and it's those memories, those times with friends, those times with, um, you know, folks that I don't have that that same connection with anymore because our lives have all gone different ways. Um, you know, so I would I tell myself to lighten up, live, live in the moment a little bit more, um, take more pictures and it's all going to be OK. You know, the, sometimes the results are important. But at the end of the day, the journey is what's going to get you the knowledge. It's going to get you the friendships. It's going to get you the connections. It's it's what it's all about, because ultimately the end, end result of life is death. Right. <laughs> so life is all about the journey. It is all about our experiences along the way. And, you know, thinking that that, you know, being a stick in the mud is going to get you you know, to, to that next place is the wrong answer. Look, I like that. I like that. Um, life is all about the journey and, and you, you get the knowledge, the wisdom, make the memories along the way. That's good. That's good. Well, look, I appreciate you so, so much for coming on and sharing with us. Um, I'm going to close because this is such a really good high note for us. And I I just, again, I just thank you. Thank you for just reconnecting with me and sharing. Um, And we'll definitely be in touch now for all of y'all out there. um, Tell us how they can reach you. Um, well, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Jasmine J. Hurley, Jasmine with no E at the end. Um, you can find me, I'm on Twitter. I don't tweet much. Um, you can find me, I'm, 
can I can I promote the firm I work for? Is that, yeah. Okay. Porter Wright, Morrison Arthur in Columbus, Ohio. Um, that's that's where I'm at. You can find my face on the the page. Um, if you have any legal questions, I'm more than happy to chat. I'd I like got to time because I'm gonna be coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> I limited in scope because I am only qualified to um, qualified to practice in the state of Ohio, unless it's copyrights or trademarks, and we're talking talking about federal registration. Then I can talk to anybody. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I can't help you, I will find somebody. I will try to find somebody who can help you somewhere <laughs> in this country. Um, our our alumni network is amazing, and they have pulled through a couple of times for for folks on various random issues that I'm approached with. Um, yeah. So uh, I will, I will also say this, if you're a veteran and you're not connected into the veteran community, um, please get connected somewhere. If you're in Ohio and you're a woman veteran, hit me up. We have uh, an organization that we just started last year and we want to make sure that women are connected, getting to the resources that they need to. Um, and, just you know, growing growing the sisterhood and telling your stories because we're one of the fastest growing um, group of veterans out there, and um, we we have a voice. We served. Why not talk about it? Indeed, indeed. All right, everyone. Well, this is Jasmine and Greg telling y'all to stay safe, stay focused, and stay engaged. We out. You've been listening to Guards Down with Greg Washington. PTSD and complicated grief are very real. About 8 out of every 100 people will have PTSD at some point in their lives. About 20 to 54% of people with complicated grief will simultaneously suffer from major depressive disorder. And that's why shows like this are hugely important. Raising awareness for PTSD and complicated grief. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, hook up with us at guardsdown.com, weareiron.org, on Facebook at Guards Down, and find us on YouTube and Instagram.